0: Welcome back, everybody. My name is Matthew McCullough, and I'm here again with Professor Larry Cotter-Backer to discuss his book, Hong Kong Between One Country and Two Systems. Today, we will be discussing chapter 25, for whom is Hong Kong home, one country, two systems, the end the national security law and the development of the patriotic front. This was written May 26, 2020. How are you doing, Professor Backer?
1: All right, all right, how are you doing?
0: I'm all right, as always. Um, you know, it's, what is it, it's January, it's cold outside, it's snowing, in, it's snowing in South Carolina, which makes for an interesting- The weekend. world,
1: the world is coming to an end.
0: Hey, okay. what do they say? Hell freezes <laughs> over? But uh, anywho, uh, we're here to discuss chapter 25 in your book, and we're coming um, to a roundabout end, to the book, not to the situation, but um, we, we've seen a transition in the way we talk about the positions of the two sides all throughout the book and the dialogue between the two sides and the discourse between them. And so there's an interesting title for this chapter, uh, For Whom is Hong Kong Home? One Country, Two Systems, the National Security Law and the Development of the Patriotic Front. Where, where and why did you present this chapter uh, in that form?
1: All right, yeah, no, this, this was an interesting time. And of course, in retrospect, looking at it from 2022, which is when we're talking about this, all of this seems particularly obvious. But it, it's, it's extraordinary to me how at the time, this is 2020, um, people, especially not just in the West, uh, but even people within the, uh, the, the democratic, the, you know, the, the pan-democratic and internationalist community in Hong Kong had very little sense about what all of that discourse that was coming and being developed out of the central by the central authorities and to some extent the local authorities over the, the last year had meant, and how everything was changing and changing rapidly. Um, the and, and so in May, it was becoming clear, at least to some of us, that what the discourse that had been developed uh, by the central authorities and mostly ignored as either rubbish or ideological, Uh, sloganeering uh, on the part of the central authorities was now actually being concretized in ways that if you had been sensitive to this, you would have seen, but in ways that were either coming as a surprise to everyone else, certainly to the international community, because they have spent the last 70 years or so absolutely positively convincing them that what happened in 1949 in China wasn't really what was happening, and that you have some kind of Euro totalitarian system that is endless, eternal, and unchanging uh, in China, and and really don't take what is going on in there seriously, except as a mirror of their own hopes, dreams, nightmares, and the like. So when they talk about China, they're really talking about perversions of themselves, uh, which is horrible uh and and always prone to error which has been the story of certainly american perceptions of of china even among and certainly among its elites um and and so none of this is being taken seriously no one was prepared for this and and by this time i was going wait a minute i've heard all this before i've seen this and not just in the discourse of what was going on and the, the key here is is the the development of the the patriotic front. So you've got the national security law which is coming, which is being sold by the central authorities from their perspective in a way that makes sense. oh yeah, you know, this is just dealing with people at the margin. don't worry about it. uh you have your autonomy. The internationalist people saying, oh yeah, this looks pretty bad, but we've got our international guarantees and they wouldn't dare. And then the central authorities just, coming at this from an old, what what for them is an old Marxist Leninist position. And, and that's what I found intriguing at this point. And so by the end of May, I was thinking, so what's really going on here? Uh, and and to, to my mind, the, the thing that sprang up, and this becomes much clearer in the two years after, but already, what was tickling me, and and you see this throughout the book, is uh, is Mao Zedong's on the People's Democratic Dictatorship, um, and it's it's a it, it really ought to be required reading uh, for anyone who's who's interested in China. And yes, clearly, uh, it isn't wholly writ, it isn't being followed religiously. But there's a lot discursively in there. The shadows wisp of which the discursive tropes of which have really become deeply embedded in the way in which the central authorities see things uh, that I think make it very useful to see what was, and certainly at the time, I thought it was very useful in, in seeing actually what was going on. And for me, and I started the chapter with with a uh, what I thought was a critical quote from the, and this is of course in English, not the Chinese, uh, but a, a critical quote from this, where Um, The one of the objects or one of the the lenses through which people's democratic dictatorship is created, and of course, um, for those who are less familiar with it, people's democratic dictatorship posits a system in which simultaneously you have democracy for patriots um, and then the the core of old-fashioned class struggle. Um, um, Marxist-Leninist mass collectives—the workers, peasants—and uh, you know, because you always need them, the the uh, fellow traveler intellectuals, right? Those those folks, right? Um, but you've got the the patriots on the one hand, and then you divide for them there's democracy, and then you've got both the foreign and foreign-inspired people—the people who have embedded the the colonialist and, and foreign uh mindset who are no longer chinese and need to be reformed, right? And the, the reactionaries, right? And for them, there's dictatorship as well as for and, and certainly through the early period and, and uh in in a tragic kind of way through the Cultural Revolution, uh to the the um certain portions of the bourgeoisie, the reactionary landlords, blah, blah, blah. There's a, a whole line of 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 terms of categorical terms for for them and so society becomes divided right and this is a key notion that that is with the that that appears at the very establishment at the very transition the beginning of the transition of chinese um of the chinese communist party from its role as a revolutionary party to its role as a party in power which is a transition which is long and difficult and full of challenges and doesn't really get established in its contemporary form until after the 1970s. It was a long initial road. Um, But throughout that that period of establishment or that transition of the the Communist Party, again, from revolutionary to uh, party in power, um, is this foundational notion that, one, there's a transitional element in the way in which you structure government, because of the nature of Marxism and Marxist Leninism and their objective to move society in a particular direction. But two, because of the nature of the struggle, the society is always inherently going to consist of two parts us and them. And the us are the vanguard forces whose obligation is to move everyone forward. And the them are those people who are either savable, currently in opposition, but they can be reformed, or the them who are creatures of one's enemies or foreign elements, or who are absolutely incorrigible, right? And so we start with this notion deeply embedded, right, between those people for whom there's democracy and those people for whom there is dictatorship. It's not that difficult, especially within an autonomous region, the genesis of which involved the preservation of a neo-colonialist capitalist markets driven European sensibility, right to view Hong Kong as this extraordinary, in a sense, experiment and and ultimately from the the, the core of leadership, certainly after 2015 uh, uh, the the sense that here you've got a system where autonomy, has to change from toleration of that European element to as certainly after the explosions of 2014 and then 2019, 2020 uh, into speeding up the transition right towards a movement, right this is the, the dynamic the speeding up that, that dynamic transition towards moving it closer to the sensibilities of the, of the, the rest of the, the Chinese state put in simpler and more direct form there's a lot of words um you look at, at china and you look at hong kong and you say okay so we gave them a shot uh they're supposed to be transitioning uh there's this period we we like the the fact that they are an international city connected internationally and that that is uh one positive legacy of the um of the Uh, colonial period, this connection. We now have a gateway city that sits both within China and outside of China. But look what happens. The minute that occurs, um, people get it all, they get their wires crossed, and they think that what that means is that either they can be independent, or they can be not just discursively, but politically independent from the mainland, including rejecting the foundational normative political sensibilities of the Chinese state and that just won't do. And so the minute that occurs these old tropes come in and you go well okay so how do we fix this well one of the ways we fix this is by going back to what we did when we encountered this on the mainland right and and to do that we what we have to do is first say look here's the deal you are part of china this is the chinese political system, political economic system. This is the autonomy you have, the structures of which are nicely framed in the the Sino-UK agreement, but that was a starting point, not an ending point, right? And given all of this, you're either with us as we transition forward, or you're not. And what the national security law does then in this context is to revive within the the now contemporary context of hong kong after the explosions this old notion that you know this ain't working and what we're going to have to do is yeah we'll preserve autonomy but now autonomy means it transitionally it's not 1989 it's not the 90 it's not 1997 it's not 2014. <laughs> we're going to be uh transitioning in in a um in a more traditional way and the first step to identify patriots for whom there will be a large space from non-patriots and the mechanism for doing that is built into the national security law.
0: So would this be something that's uniquely, uh, like this law, is is this uniquely used in a way that we haven't seen anywhere else around the world?
1: No, no, no. I mean, there's all kinds of ways of, of doing this Okay. um every you know at its at a broadest level of generality there isn't a society that can hang together without distinguishing between uh those who are in solidarity with the core uh the, the core precepts that distinguishes them from someone else um and then the foreign that's that's basically inherent but there's a certain the, the point here isn't that it's they're not reinventing the wheel this isn't some weird new and unique thing it is different is its historical and contextual genesis in china mm-hmm. which is now applied in a peri- in in a context near the chinese heartland that is within its near peripheries in hong kong in the context of a deal where the very nature of what it was that was done in the context of the transition remains hotly disputed between china which is now much much more stable in its rationalized constitutional system and the rest of the world that has a very different point of view.
0: Okay, so so what changed between the time where it seemed as though the offensive or the defensive from some perspective was to use the tropes of the black hand and the foreign invaders to now, um, it seems like there's a much more, this is a much more offensive tactic. Uh, what changed between that time?
1: Um. Uh, a sense that they, well, two things. One, to some extent, the change is the movement from discourse to implementation. Okay. All right. So, In a sense, you're making good on that discourse. If you're saying all this stuff, how can you say, and if you're saying, oh, it's a black hand that's now corrupting our people. In a sense, what you're saying is to the extent that there's any kind of, of thing going on in Hong Kong, it's because we've got a non-patriotic element, and that non-patriotic element has to be something that is inculcated, a virus that comes in from, from the foreign, right? That's a discursive trope. And then the antidote to that as well, uh, in a system that's highly state-centric, um, and that where all of these policies revolve around the state moving from the center down. Well, the the solution to that has to be to employ the tactics that one employed uh, when one encountered this the first time around in 1949, when you had to, how shall we put this, cleanse the state of what was by then viewed as a century of neocolonialist infiltration so that China can become China again in its own historically contingent way, open to ideas, but then naturalized within the the Chinese context. Um, Under the guidance and leadership of the leading social forces now organized as a communist party, which now has become the party in power as opposed to a revolutionary power that makes all this possible.
0: So the discourse set and laid a foundation for the implementation then.
1: Oh, sure, sure, it's okay. there. and 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 revolutionary and and near post-revolutionary Maoist theoretical perspectives also provided a baseline uh, that that essay on people's democratic dictatorship is is really quite quite crucial here. At the same time, right? At the same time, we're looking at it from the central authorities perspective, at the same time, if you change the lens, if you change the perspective, you get something very different, Mm -hmm. right? In that context, you're you're having the opposite effect. So what does the national security law do? do? It it demonizes, right, any kind of contest, right? This is now a more uh, liberal democratic perspective. It demonizes any kind of search for autonomy, right, and any kind of effort to preserve the development, the indigenous development of the cultures of Hong Kong embedded as a peripheral region of the Chinese heartland, right, but it effectively makes it it, that impossible by effectively from the uh, Hong Kong perspective, now bringing the foreign, that is the the sensibilities of the Chinese mainland and the sense of bringing that foreignness into the indigeneity, which is Hong Kong emerging from out of colonialism and into this autonomous space where it could become Hong Kong, right? That clearly was absolutely incomprehensible uh, to those who come from the, well, this is China, Uh, The Chinese system is a Marxist-Leninist system, and that the whole point of this autonomy for the periphery is to preserve something, but always within the very strict constraints of and sensibilities of the uh, Chinese political economic order. And even that, right, was very different from the perspective of the international community, as divided as it was, uh, which effectively viewed as Hong Kong as an international city, Uh, a a better version of Danzig before 1939. Most people don't even remember this, uh, these international cities uh, that were then eaten up between the the Russians and the the German empires, sorry, the post empire, they were called something else at the time, but empires are empires. Uh, We're seeing the, the, and this never ends, right? We're seeing the current version of this fight between the the, the European and the Russian empires, now they're going to regobble up the Ukraine. But, you know, so the, those things don't change. But, but here, from their perspective, we've got an international city, the, interna- the, the Europeans and the Americans, we've got an international city. And it's a city that, if it is to be international, has to, you don't start from the perspective of patriots and foreigners. You have to understand that Hong Kong is itself a hybrid, and therefore the notions of foreignness don't compute in either direction. Uh, There's a sensitivity to the ultimate perspective of the sovereign, which is Beijing, but at the same time, the sovereign has itself seeded a measure of autonomy Right through these international mechanisms, and we're going to make the internationalization and globalization convergence work. Then, uh, then you know everything that I've just said before about this this convergence and Mao and all of this just is the worst possible thing that that could happen, and not only incomprehensible but offensive uh, to a very different uh, perspective. Uh, and and ultimately, I, I think uh, I ended this with uh, something from uh, from a, a, an old parable from a, an ancient source, Han uh, uh The the story and and I love this story, so I'm going to relate I'm going to relate it now because it really has a lot to do with with what's going on here mm-hmm. and why these very different perspectives. Uh, so I'm going to tell you the story. Bear with me. Uh, there was once a man in the state of Shu who was selling shields and lances. And he was praising them saying, my shields are so firm that there's nothing that can pierce them, right? He praised his lances by saying, my lances are so sharp that there's nothing that they can't pierce. Someone then asked, well, what if you used your lances to pierce your shields? And the man couldn't answer, right? Because (laughs) a shield that cannot be pierced and a lance that can pierce everything cannot exist in the same world at the same time. And that is essentially what is going on here from every perspective. We have come to the ultimate conundrum from the Chinese Maoist perspective, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: patriots, and the foreign element, Mm the subversive element cannot exist in the same world. Mm -hmm. From the Hong Kong perspective, the Chinese central authority perspective, and the development of Hong Kong indigeneity cannot exist in the same world. Mm -hmm. From the internationalist perspective, this view of this China-centric Hong Kong conforming view with the internationalist convergence view cannot exist in the same world, right? And so something has to give. Mm -hmm. And that's ultimately where we are here and sort of the moral, one of the morals that I was drawing, this is in May again of 2020, uh, I I had a feeling that things were not going, were not going to go well, either for the Hong Kong uh, perspective or the international perspective. The Chinese moved, there was no opposition, essentially, except rhetorical opposition by people who can afford to say all kinds of stuff that they might well have meant, but they had no intention of enforcing Uh, from the comfort of their overpriced uh, accommodations in Geneva or New York or Berlin or Washington, which is what they tend to do. Uh, and, And Beijing understood this. And this is something that has been near and dear to their heart and part of their ruling ideology for decades. And boom, here you go. And at the time, I don't think that people really understood the ramifications But if you looked at this stuff, then as as I was looking at this, then it was just clear. It was Mm -hmm. was just clear about what was going on. And everything else was just the usual hysteria uh, by people who had. Well, let's just say agendas and perspectives and blindnesses that were their own.
0: Yeah. And just a set of uh, unique circumstances also uh, that were in play and um I, I really enjoyed that story or the fable that you put in there in the um in the chapter i enjoyed reading it but uh, yeah
1: it's it's there's a lot of application to that um and mm-hmm. but this is another book uh even for the contemporary american scene as well uh at some point uh and, and we have something similar in a way this is uh, the it it what happens when when you, you know, yeah, know, the, the Gordian Knot is a variation of this, I suppose. But, you yeah, know, it's something that, that one thinks about at some point when either, you know, the spear and the shield just.
0: Maybe they'll eliminate each other.
1: Unless you live in Facebook land, in which case in the metaverse, who knows everything may be possible.
0: Hey, 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 don't bring meta into this. <laughs> but now that we have gotten so far off topic, I guess we will conclude it here and leave the rest to you guys, the viewers, to go out and get the book and to read um, to better educate yourselves on this topic. Do you have anything else to add, Professor? No, Beck? no.
1: Thank you. Thank you. And thank you all for your patience and for, uh, for continuing to tune
0: in. Absolutely. We get these out as fast as we can. And we're almost to the end of the book. That means that you, the viewers, must go out and buy it so you can get to the end of the book with us. Right, again, and then
1: maybe I'll write another one and, and bore you with another set of chapters. And no,
0: no, no, no. the in, viewer, we're, Us, the consumer, is never bored. But thank you again for meeting with me, Professor Backer, and thank you all for watching. I hope you all have a good day.
1: All right.